Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Well, I have an exercise for you to do with me here this morning. All right? Everybody got hands today? Okay, I see your hands, all right? What I want you to do is clasp those hands in front of you. Clasp in front of you, you know, fingers intertwined like that. Everybody got that? Let's see. Everybody got, got your hands? Okay, good. Now, I want you to look and decide. Tell me, which thumb is on top? How many of you say right? <laughs> How many of you say left? Yeah, lefts, lefts are the, the right ones. No, okay, the right ones are the left ones? I don't know. All right, so but now, what I want you to do is just take your hands, relax, put them in your lap, put them in your lap. Okay, now I want you to put your hands up and clasp them again. Ooh, that was hard, right? Now, what I want you to do I just want you right now to change which thumb's on top. See, that's hard? Felt a little odd? Does it feel a little odd? Some of it, yeah, okay. Doesn't feel natural, does it? All right, so put your hands down again. All right now, what I want you to do, without really thinking about it, I want you to put your hands up and put them in the new way. Okay, ready? In the new way. The, the. How'd you do? Deb, you're having a really tough time over here, aren't you? Did you, did, you know, did, how'd you do? Did you get back to where you're supposed to, or did you put it, you know? It doesn't come natural to us. We have something that comes natural to us, and we can do it without thinking about it. But when we start challenging ourselves to do something different, you know, it just it doesn't feel natural, and so we aren't, it's quick or easy to do it. And by the way, what I want you to do, one more time, put with the new, the new configuration, the unnatural configuration for you, do it. All right, now what I want you to do is, from now on, do it that way. Ooh, 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 ooh. From now on, do it that way, okay? You're with me? You understand? From now on, you're going to do it that way. All right. You know, when it comes naturally, you know, about how we clasp our hands to us, that's not a really a big deal, is it? Okay? Doesn't matter if you do it one way or the other. Uh, and who really cares? Really, <laughs> if you want to be honest about it, who cares how you do that? And sometimes doing what comes naturally is exactly what you need to do. If you're in your house and you discover that the, the house is on fire and, and you realize it's too big for you to put out at this point and, you know, the smoke's starting to, to burn your lungs and sting your eyes, it'd be very natural to do what? Run. That's right. So run. It's what do, comes natural to you in that setting. Certainly there are times when doing what's natural is the right thing to do. But here's the deal. There are lots of things where doing what comes natural is going to get you into a lot of trouble. It's going to cause all sorts of problems in your life when you do what comes naturally. For example, men, if you're married or ever been married, or you can imagine being married, and your wife gets a new dress, and she comes and shows it to you, and she's smiling, and she says, does this dress make me look fat? If you do what comes naturally, if you think you might get yourself in a world of hurt. True? Okay. Yeah. No. Love, you've never been fat in your entire life, unless it was when you were a baby, so. I've taken care of that for you. 
Now, that's a pretty silly example, you know, but there are lots of areas in life that are not so silly, and the stakes are much higher. I mean, how about in, a, in, in the relationships that really matter the most to you, you know, whether it's a marriage relationship, parent-child relationship, brother-sister, or just someone who's an, a very, very close friend to you. And let's say in that relationship, all of a sudden, you feel offended or upset by something that the other person did. It happens, doesn't it? So you're offended, you're upset. Is your response going to affect that relationship? How you respond will affect that relationship. And, and can you imagine some ways that you might naturally respond that would not be good for the relationship? See, there are places where doing what comes naturally is not a good idea at all. How about in the area of money? If you do just what comes natural to you, what's for most of us, what's going to happen in our finances? We're going to be in a world of hurt if, if, if we do that. I mean, can you imagine some natural ways you would handle your money that would create financial difficulties for you? Sure. Teens, teens, okay? You ever ha- how many of you teens ever had to ask mom or dad for money? Or kids, any of your kids are in here, right? Okay, you have to ask mom or dad for money. You ever had to ask them more than once? Yeah, okay, we got more hands for that, okay. <laughs> All right, so I want you to imagine with me that here you are, you know, you, you need some money for something, and so you ask, and your mom or dad, they're, they're busy, and, and, and they aren't paying attention, so you ask them again, and, and finally you, you get there, and say, mom, look, I need some money. And she stops and looks at you and says, it's a bad day for her, okay? What do I look like, an ATM? <laughs> Can you imagine some natural ways to respond that might get you in trouble? Can you? All right, so I think it becomes clear to us that doing what comes naturally, beside, you know, even though, you know, in the, the, the musical Annie gets your gun and she sings, doing what comes naturally. There are times when doing what comes naturally really isn't a good idea. In fact, there's lots of times when it's not a good idea. I think we know that intuitively, that there are times when doing what comes naturally is a really bad idea. You realize that getting saved doesn't come naturally to us, does it? You know, what comes naturally to us is thinking that somehow or rather we can do enough good to outweigh our bad. That's what comes naturally to us. Or we think that somehow or other we can be religious enough to, to figure out how to slip in the, the door to heaven. Doesn't, doesn't come naturally to us to say, no, the reality is, is I am a, a, a low-down, rotten sinner who deserves to go to hell. That does not come natural to us. And yet that's what we must do to be saved. And understand that we are lost and look to Jesus. Trust Him to be our Savior. So our sins might be forgiven and we might receive eternal life. It does not come natural to us. And, and whether we realize it or not, living the Christian life the way God intends for us to live it is not something that comes naturally to us either. Even though we get saved and God begins working, does it come natural to us to live the way God says that we ought to live our lives And it's even worse than that, because it's very easy to be living in a way that comes natural to you, and it seems to be working, and it feels like I'm living like a Christian, when in fact, I'm not. I'm just kind of going with what seems right to me, you know, what seems natural, but the reality is I'm not living like a Christian. That can happen to us. 
And that's the issue that we want, want to tackle starting this morning with uh, our new sermon series for the summer entitled The Jesus Way. And today's sermon introduces this whole issue and it's entitled Introducing the Jesus Way, Doing What Comes Unnaturally. Doing what comes unnaturally. Well, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, the Bible that's there in the pews, page 1114. If you do, are here today with us and you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to follow along. Just take that Bible that's in the pew there. Turn to page 1114, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses six, 5, 6, and 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7, are what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. As we'll see when we begin reading, we'll see where it got its name. The, the Gospels each portray Jesus from a different angle. They're looking at him from a different perspective. Uh, uh, Mark looks at Jesus as, as a suffering servant. Luke looks at Jesus as this, the perfect man, the kind of man that the Greek culture would really uh, you know, look up to. John presents him as, as deity you know, above all. And, and Matthew's gospel, written with a focus for Jewish Christians who needed to see that Jesus was their Messiah. He was the promised Messiah. And so uh, this sermon here really introduces us as Jesus the Messiah, which would, if their understanding of the Messiah would be that he would come as king. And by the way, he is king and is coming as king. But so he's preaching this sermon and what he's doing is he's really informing them, this is the way we live in the kingdom. Okay, this is how we're going to live in the kingdom of God when, you know, when we do this right. And um, that we are citizens of heaven, true? If you trust in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. And so the way we're supposed to live in a kingdom is the way you and I need to learn to live now. This is not something that only applies in the future. It applies today. How do I live my life today? How do I look at life? How do I respond to life? And so these three chapters focus us in on this. And, and the sermon begins with eight statements that we call Beatitudes. Okay, well, what in the world is a beatitude? Well, I don't want to get real technical. The word beatitude comes from a Latin word which means blessed, okay? Uh, showing God's blessings and God's graciousness to us. That oftentimes people say it means happiness, but it's really, it's not, it's bigger than that, okay? It's a bigger thing than just being happy. A beatitude is a description of a way of life that brings God's blessings, Built-in blessings and supernatural blessings. So if you can think of it this way, it's about being. The be part, if you can just use this, it's about being, a way of being. And attitude, what is your mental and emotional response to things and how you look at things. And we put those two things together, the be and the attitude, and we get this idea of a beatitude. It's a being and attitude applied to life that brings God's blessings. And as I said, built-in blessings that are in the system and God's supernatural blessings as he works in our lives, in our soul, in our minds, in our life circumstances, giving us the opportunity to glorify him. Now, before we start reading through them, I just want to make a few observations that should help us to get them into focus more quickly. <clears throat> First thing is this, that every one of these Beatitudes presents something that's a good thing that we would, we would desire. 
It's something that we would like to have or like to experience, okay? It presents that. And then the Beatitude also tells us the way to experience that. So it tells us what we would like to experience and here's how you experience it, okay? All well and good. But the third thing is this about Beatitudes is every one of them, those ways, you know, here's how you do this, every one of those ways is unnatural. Doesn't come natural to us as human beings. It's not natural. And then, as long as it's not natural, it's, it's countercultural. It flies in the face of what the world around you is going to think about how you accomplish these things. And, and, but lastly, and this is good news, is that when we apply these ways, there are supernatural results in our lives. God works in our lives. So, so let's take a look at these here now. Let's read through them first, and then we'll, we'll start talking about them. Chapter 5, verse 1, page 1114. And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, we're going to see this, but so how did the Sermon on the Mountain get its name? It was a real religious thing. He went up onto a mountain and preached this. There's another time where he preaches a lot of similar things from a different place, okay? But this is called the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read through these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, and in case you didn't get number 10, verse number 10 there, he's going to elaborate. Blessed are you. When they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. You know, that, that's exactly what I was saying last week, how wonderful it is when people persecute me. I wasn't saying that. Right? We don't naturally say that. But he says, no, it's blessed when that happens. In verse 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we, if you've heard these a lot in life, if you grew up around the church or have been saved for a long time, you've heard them, and it's easy to just read those and not let it sink in. But I, I want you to understand how unnatural these things are. Okay? And I think the way we do it is, what I want to do is share with you uh, some beatitudes that come natural to the world. If the world around us was writing this, if we were looking at our culture and pulling out what are the, the Beatitudes here, here's the way it would go. Blessed are the self-confident because they rule the world. Blessed are positive thinkers because they don't need anybody's comfort. Blessed are the cocky and assertive because they get what they want. Blessed are those who hunger for fame because they get reality TV shows. Yes. <laughs> Blessed are the vengeful, because they get respect. Blessed are the impure pleasure seekers, because they see a good time. Blessed are those who beat their opponents, because the victors write the history books. And blessed are the popular, 
because everybody loves them. Think about it. You look at that list, right? That, that is, in our world, it's interesting. How do you get things? How do you experience the life that you want? These are the kinds of character qualities that they would say is what you need to have. And that is what comes natural to people in our world. But it is not the Jesus way. It's not the Jesus way. So let's go back here and work our way through these Beatitudes for just a few minutes. Try to understand them. First one, verse three, this, the thing that we would like to have is the kingdom of heaven, right? Well, how are you going to get it? He says, well, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you are poor, you have nothing to give. And so you're poor, we're poor spiritually. How do you get connected with the kingdom of heaven? How do you know that heaven is your destiny? How do you become a citizen of heaven? What do you have to, to come to realize? I have no way to get that. I am poor spiritually. And that's what we have to do to be saved, true? We come to that point of realizing that I have nothing to offer God to take care of this sin problem. We must become poor in spirit. And when we do, that transaction is made with Christ when we receive his Savior and then we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The next verse, blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, that's what we all want to do, right? You know, I do know a few people who seem to like to be unhappy. But for the most part, we don't like that. But he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And if we continue to follow this progression, the idea of being poor in spirit, recognizing our need before God, this idea of mourning is, is sort of a repentance. It's a godly sorrow. When we see where we're at spiritually, and then we, oh, we're broken about that, and we mourn over that, and we're repentant, God comforts us. Anytime that we own up to our issues, God comes to work in our lives. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now this does just seem just the opposite. People typically, probably in our culture, if we went out there and asked people today, did a little survey and say, what does the word meek mean? What word would we be likely to hear? Weak, that's right. Well, meek does not mean weak, okay? Uh, meek is the idea of having strength, but choosing to not use it. It's about having rights, but giving them up. All right, so we're talking about, you want to inherit the earth? You want the earth to be yours? What would we say in our culture? Grab it. Use your strength. Bring it to bear. Demand your rights. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Blessed are those who don't do that. You see how these blessings are supernatural? Because they see he's the one who then allows you to inherit the earth. And we will inherit the earth. And then it continues. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Again, being, anybody here likes to be hungry? We call that a disorder. Right? We don't like to be hungry. We don't like to be thirsty. And he says, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he says, for they shall be filled. And by the way, the, the, the grammar behind this hungering and thirsting for righteousness is an ongoing thing. That yes, we are hungry, we are thirst, and then God works in our lives and we experience his righteousness and it fulfills us. But you know what it does? It makes us hungry for more. And so this state of being hungry is how God continually fills us. But it's hunger and, hungering and thirsting for what? What's it say? 
Righteousness, that's right. For God's righteousness, for the way God wants things to be. Do you hunger and thirst for that? I mean, is that what you, you know, you can't wait? I, I gotta have God's righteousness. I gotta know what it is. I gotta experience it in my life. All right, and then he continues, verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Again, in our society, you gotta be careful because if you, you can't just let people run over you, right? Is that what you'd say? People run over you if you let them. Well, God here, Jesus says, blessed are those who show mercy when someone does you wrong. Hmm. Is there a time to stand up and fight? Probably. But we need to learn the unnatural act of showing mercy to those who do us wrong, for we will experience mercy. Later on, when Jesus talks about how we're supposed to pray, he really brings that aspect into it, uh, which we'll see later this summer. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, that, that's, <laughs> there's something about having a pure heart that enables you to see God. And when you don't have a pure heart, and not having a pure heart, having an impure heart could be a lot of things. It could be, we think right away, oh, you know, morality and all that, impurities, yes, but also our motives, if our motives aren't right. You know, we have wrong motives, impure motives in our heart. But get this, so whatever's going on in your heart affects your ability to see God clearly, to see him clearly in his, his word, to see him clearly at work in your life. Wouldn't you like to just really be able to see, wow, I can see God. He's working in my life. He's doing these things. He's working in the lives of the people. I can see it. Well, you have to purify that heart. And that doesn't come natural to us. Our hearts want to do other things. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Um, we all probably know people who are peacemakers in a bad way, right? They're always trying to keep everybody happy and can't deal with conflict. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who looks at a situation, sees a problem, and, and says, how do we bring God's truth to bear on this in a way that brings God's peace here? How do we do that? By the way, one of the biggest ways we do that is by sharing the gospel. You're a peacemaker when you share the gospel. Because the person that you're talking to is unsaved. The Bible says is an enemy of God and is in opposition to God and is separated from God. When that person receives Christ as Savior, they are now reconciled to God. They've made peace with God. So we're peacemakers when we reach out to them and try to win them to Christ. But it says this, that we will be identified as sons of God, children of God, when we do that. Why is that? Have you ever seen someone who looks just like their father? You see someone and, and maybe you say, that's gotta be so-and-so's kid. If you put picture of my grandfather and my father and me now, it's scary. Okay, I'm one of them, I'm in that line. Why, because I look like them. Well, so it is when we become peacemakers. God is a peacemaker. He is the one who reconciles people to himself. And the Bible says he's given us that very same ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, to draw people to him, to, to bring people to him. And so then we look like him, peacemakers, sons of God. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And we're back to for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when you are persecuted. For what? For being a, a nuisance? No, you're persecuted for righteousness because you're, you're, you're doing what's right. You're making a right stand. You're treating people properly. And you are persecuted. By the way, do you understand that in our culture, we aren't really, we're hardly ever persecuted. Sometimes people are. Sometimes someone will lose a job over it. But for the most time, part, we're not persecuted. We're harassed. We're just, you know, bothered. But nonetheless, he says, when people are coming after you because you're a Christian, that is a good thing. I can be honest with you, I mean, I know the truth about this, but overall, my initial sense is I don't value persecution very highly. Yeah? Do you? And yet Jesus says, wow, when you were persecuted, let me tell you what's going on here. He says, you're connecting with me in such a way that, that just like the prophets, yeah, you remember Isaiah? Remember Isaiah? Remember Jeremiah? Remember Daniel? See, that's the way they treated them. And they're treating you that way. That's a good thing. That shows that you are living the Jesus way. Oh, there's an exciting thought. Live the Jesus way. Be persecuted. But yet Jesus says, great blessing. Great is your reward in heaven, which lasts forever. Persecution lasts this long. Heaven is forever. Blessed are you. Well, as I look at these things, I, I've reached three conclusions about the Christian life that I want to share with you here. Three conclusions about the Christian life. And the first one is this, that what comes to us naturally is seldom God's way of doing things. Okay? Can you see that in the Beatitudes here? What comes to us naturally is seldom God's way of doing things. And we go through the Bible and find a lot more of those kinds of things. The second thing is, think about this. How about turn the other cheek? Does that come naturally to us? No. How about give to receive? Does that come naturally to us? How about die to live? I mean, they don't come naturally to us. All right, the second thing is this. What naturally makes sense to us is seldom the way things really are. What naturally makes sense to us probably is missing the point. Okay, once again, we look at these and say, that doesn't make sense. Now, as Christians, we've been around a long time. We've had some changed minds, some changed hearts. We say, oh, I, I see how it makes sense, but not naturally. These things don't make sense naturally. And the third thing is this. What we naturally value the least is often the most valuable thing of all. We just saw that with the persecution, right? We don't value it, but God says it's extremely valuable. You know, <laughs> If you haven't seen it directly, I've had obviously the opportunity to be around with people as they're, as they're reaching the end of their lives. But if you haven't, do you know how many people reached the end of their lives and said, wow, I, I look back now and things I thought so important weren't so important. I wish I had done something different. You know how many people feel that way? Why is it? Because we naturally tend to value least what's really the most valuable. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, these things, because God's already told us something about himself and about us in the process that explains it. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55, page 850, page 850 in the Pew Bible. Isaiah 55. (laughs) 
And I would really encourage you to memorize these verses. Just spend some time. If you say, oh, I, I can't memorize scripture, well, no, but you can try. And trying produces a lot of benefits. So you'll either succeed at memorizing or you'll just receive a lot of benefits from working on it. Either way, it's worth the effort. Isaiah 55, starting in verse number eight, God talking to his people, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. So he's telling us right up front here, what comes naturally to you is not my way. What makes sense to you by nature, is not my way. And what you value and don't value is not what I value and what I don't value. He's telling us we are different than him, isn't he? By nature, we are so different. And then he says this, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if you've got to pick between your ways and God's ways, which ones are better? God's by just a little bit. No, what? As the heavens are higher than the earth. That's how much higher my ways and my way of thinking is than yours. So you can see it doesn't come natural. to So here's what I want you to listen in. I really want you to do an evaluation here. If you're cruising along through life, just pretty much doing what, whatever comes natural to you, and you don't think it's not terrible, sinful stuff, but you're cruising along doing what comes natural to you, and you're, you're building your life simply on what makes sense to you, and you're, you're deciding for yourself what's really important and what really is important, you're probably missing it. You're missing the Jesus way. You're missing what God has for you. So the way, if the way we really need to be and the way we really need to live do not come naturally to us at all, what can we do? What do we do? All right, well, again, let's do a, another exercise this morning, okay? All right, let's all fold our hands again. Which way did you do it? Remember at the beginning I said, let's, let's always do it the other way now? How many of you forgot? I knew about it and I forgot. Switch. You know, I, I, we put our hands right back the way we started at the beginning of the sermon, even though we've been instructed to do the opposite. By the way, how many of you did remember and do it opposite? Good for you. You guys are sharp people. But let me ask you, do you see how easy it is to go back to what seems natural to you without even thinking about it? It's so easy to do. So if, if you're going to live your life the Jesus way, the first thing you have to do is realize that it, that it is very likely that there are areas of your life where you are living by what comes natural to you, what makes sense to you, not necessarily the way Jesus says to. There's very high likelihood that there's an area of your life like that, and you don't even realize it. By the way, it's easy to do. I mean, it's so easy to do. Uh, you, you have to become conscious of this, purposely reevaluate, and then decide to go Jesus' way, all right? So I have a tool that, that, that I'm going to give you to use to help you to, to consciously think, wait a minute, I need to reevaluate. Wait a minute, I need to reevaluate. I need to think about this, okay? And it's a little poem. It's, it's not extremely sophisticated. But it says this, Jesus' way is the only way to live God's way. 
which is the best way. It's not naturally my way, but I'm choosing today to exchange my way for Jesus' way. Can you say it with me? Here we go, ready? Jesus' way is the only way to live God's way, which is the best way. It's not naturally my way, but I'm choosing today to exchange my way for Jesus' way. That's what it takes, that consciousness. And now let me say to you, this is where, well, I'll talk to you about that afterwards. It's so easy to be on track. Can I encourage you to memorize that, by the way? I'm going to give it to you in a little bit. Put it in your hand. It's so easy to assume you're on track, you know, but I, I want every one of us here, all of us, including me, to challenge ourselves again, to look again, to rethink, to reevaluate how we're approaching life, to see if we're really living the way Jesus said to live. And don't just assume, please, listen, don't just assume that any of the things you usually think are okay. Because remember, some of the things that make the most sense to us may not be Jesus' way at all. So look again. Think again. Surrender to the Lord again in this start today. Continue throughout the summer as we consider the Jesus' way. And hopefully, when we're all done with this, you can adopt a very conscious Christian approach for the rest of your life, doing what comes unnaturally. You know, if each of us start living more and more by the Jesus way, then each of us will start looking more and more like Jesus. If I do, if you do. If, if more and more of us as a church start living, you know, more by the Jesus way, then our church will start looking more and more like Jesus. And when I live the Jesus way, and, and you live the Jesus way, and together we live the Jesus way, life is going to get really exciting. Here's why. When people see Jesus in us, many of them will be attracted to him and they will get saved as a result. Wouldn't it be exciting to see lots and lots of people getting saved through our church? Wouldn't that be? You guys with me on that? It'd be very exciting. But there's another possible result of people seeing Jesus in us. Jesus said that when people see him in us that some of them will not like it and they will hate us for it. And they will talk badly about us and even persecute us. Well, what about that, huh? Rejoice. Be exceeding glad. But that's not natural. Exactly. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and thank you that you reveal to us the things we need to understand. Lord, stir our hearts and fill our hearts with this understanding that, that your thoughts and your ways are so much higher, so much better than ours and what comes naturally to us. And Father, shake us as needed to get us to stop just going through life, doing what makes sense to us, what comes natural, that we might instead live the Jesus way. Live the way you revealed in your word. Let you change us as well as our outcomes because of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.